This is episode 212 of Alohomora for February 4th, 2017. Hey everyone, welcome to another wonderful and great episode of Alohomora where we are discussing still the wonderful Harry Potter series. I'm Caleb Graves. I'm Michael Harley. And I'm Allison Sigger. And our guest this week is Nicole Rohr. Welcome, Nicole. Hi. Tell us Yay. a little bit about yourself. Oh, um, yeah. So um, first off, I am a Hufflepuff. Um, I am wearing my Hufflepuff bathrobe that I have that I got for Christmas one year. Nice. Um, I was sorted into Thunderbird, which is appropriate today because of our topic. And... Um, Let's see, I work at a cupcake shop um, where uh, the first cupcake I ate there was called a Hufflepuff, and it had popcorn on top, and it was great, Um, which is a random cupcake. And we actually have a butterbeer cupcake that we feature on the 7th of every month now um, because it was so popular. Like, butterbeer just exploded everywhere at our store. That's amazing. Yeah. I would love to try a butterbeer pop cupcake. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like cream soda and butterscotch, and it's really great. Ooh. Oh man, I can just feel my teeth rotting out. That sounds awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds delicious, Nicole. Uh, what is your kind of background with Harry Potter? How'd you get into it? Um, I started reading Harry Potter probably when I was about seven or eight. Um, I got the first book for my birthday, I think, and then yeah, I just I don't remember reading the next book. But all of a sudden, I was in love with them. My cousin and I were reading them all the time. The only midnight premiere, um, well, midnight book release I got to go to was for the 7th. And we stayed up all night reading chapter by chapter, loaded with, like, all kinds of chocolate. And stayed up until the wee hours of the morning trying to finish it. Um, And then I got to go to the midnight showings of the last two movies, um while I was in college, and yeah, just, um, in college, I actually started a Harry Potter group with my friends. Awesome. Um, it's still kind of going, it's in a lot different form than when we started, but it's still going at the University of Minnesota out here. So, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. You're up in Minnesota. My, my mm-hmm. family is from up in that way. Okay. Yeah. How cool. That's awesome. And you started the group there for Harry yeah, Potter. Yeah, we, <laughs> so, um, we had named it the Minnesota School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. Um, but it's now called the Harry Potter Literature Club. Oh, I liked your first name better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we got some weird emails about, like, um, wanting to hear about, like, wanting to do a cultural study on us as, like, a Wiccan group. And I had to be like, oh, well, we're actually a Harry Potter group. Sorry, not a Whoops. Wiccan group. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well... Yeah. With all of this talk of Harry Potter, forget that, listeners, because we're <laughs> jumping away from the uh, good old Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry, and we're actually getting a little closer to the uh, Minnesota School of Witchcraft and Wizardry, if there is one, because we are headed to Ilvermorny for this week's episode. Uh, we've talked a little bit about Ilvermorny's history um, and it's founding, especially with that new piece that came through on Pottermore. But we wanted to go a little more in depth, and we know you listeners had been craving another Ilvermorny episode. Uh, so that'll be our focus today. And actually, it was kind of perfect with all of these 
with with our topic because we recently, with all this stuff going on in, with American Wizardry, we got a recent announcement that uh, with the new edition of Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, uh, there's going to be an audiobook. And Allison, I know you're just madly yes. in love with him. Who's go- <laughs> Tell everybody who's going to read it. Eddie Redmayne is going to read Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them as Newt Scamander, and it's going to be amazing. Because, I mean, if you've ever wanted to hear him read the dictionary, that's basically what he's going to do. <laughs> so, all our dreams will come true. He's and I heard he's going to add, like, his own commentary as Newt. Oh, I didn't hear that bit, but that's, that's amazing. That's what I've heard. And then, well, and I'm assuming that's going to be the the current up-to-date new edition with the six new uh, beasts, yeah. right? Yeah, I think it's so. supposed to come out in March when that comes out as well. So lots oh. of exciting announcements they made there at Celebration of Harry Potter, including that video. And I think it's on Pottermore now. You can see the whole video listeners of the whole announcement is there. And listeners, if you are excited about the audiobook version of Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, we want to let you know that you can get a free audiobook with a 30-day trial today by signing up at www.audible.com slash alohomora. That's A-U-D-I-B-L-E dot com slash A-L-O-H-O-M-O-R-A. That's a lot of O's. <laughs> we took all the vowels in the alphabet for that special link for you guys to get a free audiobook with a 30-day trial um, through audible.com slash alohomora. And we hope you guys use that to maybe listen to the new Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them by Eddie Redmayne. How cool is that? Yay! And before we get started, too, we're, we're getting there. We're getting there. We also want to thank our... <laughs> Sponsor for this episode, Chancellor <laughs> Palpatine, which is so we have to support. <laughs> we have to support him or her. So I mean, that's name true. or not, that's a little scary. But that's all right. We are still grateful. <laughs> yes, thank you. He has supported us. And listeners, you too can become a sponsor for as little as a dollar a month. And we are so grateful to each and every one of you that have sponsored us so far. Uh, remember, we continue to release exclusive tidbits for our sponsors. Um, I actually just have a little one I thought of today that we'll, we'll see if that pans out. Um, but we will continue to do that. And remember, just go to... Patreon.com slash Alohomora or to our website, alohomora.mugglenet.com and click on the Patreon tab. Thank you again, of all people, <laughs> Chancellor Palpatine. <laughs> please, please do not aim the Death Star in our direction. <laughs> we appreciate it. <laughs> now, uh, before we jump into Ilvermorny, because there is quite a bit to talk about um, with the American School of Magic. Uh, we wanted to make sure and go a little bit into some deeper questions, focus questions that each of us had. Uh, big twist. I'm going to change up my focus question a little bit because I was certain one of you was going to take it. <laughs> um, so I left it for you. Uh, but uh-huh. uh, oddly enough, none of you took the one I was thinking of. So 
Uh, Caleb, your, <laughs> your your question is actually a lot like mine, so I'm going to feed that one over okay. to you. Because what I'm going to go ahead and do for my question is um, compare, talk about, kind of get more specific into the comparisons between uh, the Hogwarts houses and the Ilvermorny houses. Because the big question that everybody was asking is, do they la- do they match up? Um, mm. <laughs> and or and should they match up? That was the big question that was that was uh, hotly debated for a long time um, after the quiz came out. Uh, so maybe we can dive a little deeper into those four houses and check them against Hogwarts houses. And speaking of Hogwarts, that kind of ties into what I want to look at. But I want to look at, at some differences, um, especially in like what is student like life like, um, <laughs> considering that there seems to be a lot of different uh, differences in population. Um, so especially with things like Rappaport's Law, and the U.S. is obviously a lot bigger than the U.K. So where kind of does the student population come from? Um, has it always included all of kind of North America, the U.S., whatever we're deciding is <laughs> is going to be in there? Um, or did it expand as the U.S. expanded over time? Um and things like that. <clears throat> All right. So for my question, and actually, like before I do this, I should throw this out there. I should have done this at the beginning, um, but I didn't see it. See, the little too heavy. But I don't want to throw it in at the end and like everyone have to reel from it at the end. Uh, <laughs> but um, so, aloha, more listeners. This is, as you may know, that I have not been on the show for a while. Yeah, where have you um, been? Yeah. So. Um, <laughs> Last year of law school has been pretty busy, and um, life is sort of going to take off after that, and I'm sure you can see where this is going, but sadly, this is going to be my last episode as a permanent host of Alohomora. Um mm. It's a decision I've been struggling with for a long time, and I don't want to take all the time to talk about it now, but I'll talk more about that at the end of the show, but just so no one is surprised at the end of the show when I talk about it. Um, But on that note, the thing that I want to really think about as we do this discussion is what makes Ilvermorny, quote, American. So thinking of how America set out a new tradition after it gained its independence from Britain, um, similarly, I want to see if Ilvermorny does or does not fit that um, distinctly American quality, or if we decide something else. Yeah, which is the whole Hogwarts and Ilvermorny with how the houses compare. I wonder if the trio, where they would be sorted, and if they would have even ended up in the same houses and even become friends if they had gone to Ilvermorny versus Hogwarts. Ooh, that's a good question. I like that. Well, we've got a lot to ponder here about Ilvermorny. This episode of Alohomora is sponsored by Audible. Audible is unmatched in their selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more. Get a free audiobook with a 30-day trial at www.audible.com slash Alohomora. <laughs> so, let's jump in with just a recap of a little bit of the history. As you know, listeners, um, we previously covered Ilvermorny um, and its um, history in depth with the piece from Pottermore, but uh, we wanted to make sure and highlight a few of the major um, sections So, as a little mm-hmm. reminder, because while the Ilvermorny story is probably one of the best-received pieces that's come out of Pottermore, <laughs> um, it is still also kind of not 
the details kind of still get foggy for a lot of us. Um, so, uh, just as a reminder, Ilvor Morny's name comes from the childhood cottage home of Isolt Sayer, who is the founder of Ilvor Morny, who escaped from uh, her crazy aunt who killed her parents in Ireland um, and kidnapped her. Uh, uh, Ilvor Morny, I actually tried to find out what the name Ilvor Morny means. Uh, ever, I actually saw one webpage that said, Define Ilvor Morny. A fictional school in America. And I was like, that's not <laughs> what I was looking for. <laughs> so maybe uh, some of you folks uh, up in Ireland can help us out with that one because that seems to be the root of the name. Um, couldn't really find any information on that myself. Uh, the houses are inspired by the four house structure of Hogwarts. Interhouse competitions began circa 1634 the school started somewhere between 1620 and 1630 um but uh they the the they finally got enough uh students in their population to start doing interhouse competitions by 1634 they achieved world renowned uh, a world renowned reputation by the 1800s they are currently known as the most democratic and least elitist school of magic in the world. Their current headmaster is Algebert Fontaine. Uh, that's all we know about Algebert is the name. Uh, <laughs> Algebert is a descendant of first-generation American Auror Theodard Fontaine. Uh, now, an important thing here that we learned, uh, <laughs> the, this is not to be, Ilvermorty is not to be confused with the Salem Witches Institute. Um, I think, were, was Which I the only one thought. who was confused by that? Yep, the very. Time? <laughs> I think that, I think it was a big thing because, I mean, we first hear the name Salem Witches Institute in Goblet of Fire. And so I think right. a lot of people just kind of assumed, oh, that's the American school um, for a long time because we had nothing to the contrary. Um, or that maybe it was like one of the schools in America. And then Joe was like, no, just kidding. <laughs> and we were all like, oh. Goblet of Fire, when um, Rowling brings that up, it's more of a way to like introduce the fact that there are other withering schools. Because that's half the point of Goblet of Fire, is that, oh, now there's two other schools we're talking about. So they just kind of, I feel like at that point, she probably just threw out this random school name and had maybe no plans for Elbermorny at that point. See, that's what I was curious about, because I, I had wondered if originally that was the intended school um because it, it she actually said in a chat or like a in a questionnaire uh or interview that we would find out the name of the american school in book four um because okay. somebody asked her about the other um schools and so that's i think that also was partially what led to people thinking that Salem Witches Institute was the school. But then she said, post Ilvermorny announcement, she said, oh no, that's a joke on the UK Women's Institutes. It's meant to be a reference to that. Um, so that the Salem Witches Institute is actually like a women's organization that promotes like, you know, uh, women's causes. And I was like, oh, yeah, no, nobody got that joke. <laughs> so... <laughs> no. <laughs> I do like that the Salem Institute, which is Institute, isn't the name of the Wizarding School here because it would just be too obvious. 
I like that mm. she came up with something yeah. new. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but I think that that definitely shattered a lot of our perceptions um, <laughs> of what the school was. And you know, I, I wasn't. I, I think a lot of people were unsure too because the the girls that Harry sees at the um, Quidditch World Cup are implied to be like in their late teens into their twenties. Um, yeah, like, they're kind of like college age girls on like a trip, um, which would suggest that they're out of uh, wizarding school. So. And we, as far as we know, there aren't wizarding colleges, but of course in the U.S. that could be different. Um, We also know, too, from the pieces on all of the world's schools that uh, there are lesser known schools or schools that aren't um, as populated or don't really run on the same kind of a structure as a Hogwarts or a a Bobatons or an Ilvermorny. Um, So... uh, it's possible that the Salem Winters Institute is partially that as well. Um, I kind of really like the idea that it's like a like a women's college <laughs> for for yeah. magic. Um, that sounds kind of awesome. Really awesome. Yeah, um, and uh, the the uh, interesting thing about Ilvermorny is that it actually represents a little bit of of all the uh, uh, Hogwarts influences. Um, a lot of Slytherin is kind of woven into Ilvermorny, but um, as the Ilvermorny piece says, it's it would seem to be the very best of Slytherin that made its way into Ilvermorny, and we'll discuss that a little b- bit down the line with some of the features of Ilvermorny. Um, also worth noting that Terry Boot, who we know from Harry's year, uh, was a descendant of Webster Boot, son of his old sayer. Um, so actually, and actually there's, if you've read a lot of the, uh, Pottermore pieces, it seems like a lot of major wizarding families from the UK ended up involved in the US, um, politics to some degree. Even the Potters were involved in US politics. Distantly. It makes, that always makes me laugh that the wizarding community seems so tight knit that like everyone's like related to someone somehow, because I mean, it just, it reminds me of a lot of like... <laughs> Like, for example, like my own religious like community, like you pretty much have a shorter degree of separation than you would from normal people, I feel like, just Mm -hmm. because it's a smaller community. So it's like everyone somehow knows everyone everywhere (laughs) to some degree. So it always makes me laugh that that the wizarding families are all everywhere. <laughs> well, and it, it works with the idea too of America being especially at the time that Azolt came over, a country of immigrants, um as America can hopefully will continue to be <laughs> um sorry listeners, we can't help but get political. It's going to probably <laughs> happen a lot on this episode actually because yeah, there's a lot yeah. of that subtext in the Ilvermorny piece. Um, but, uh, I mean, it's, it makes sense with that because, um, as we already know, the wizarding community is, like you said, Allison, so tight knit, um, that really how it's kind of unavoidable that there would be, um, a lot of families connected between the, the countries and the continents. Um, so it makes sense. It's, it's, it's another one of those fun little Easter eggs that Rowling seems to love dropping in, um, especially with boot. Of all of the not major characters to reference. <laughs> um, 
Can we quit before we like move on too far? Yeah. Sim- somewhat similar. So, early, like one of the earlier bullet points you mentioned was that it was known as the most democratic and least elitist school of magic. I wish we kind of knew more about why it gets that qualification. Yeah. Yeah. See that, and that kind of goes a little bit. Which is interesting is that goes a little bit into Allison's question about how politics affected would have affected. Um, Ilvermorny, because I, I, I found that to be an interesting statement because Rappaport's law would seem to complicate that, or at least mm-hmm. have complicated that for a good century. Um, because uh, was Rappaport's law enacted in 1790? Is that, am I correct um, with that here? I am looking on the Wikia. It says 1790. Hey! Good job, Michael. Thank you. I did my research today. (laughs) I did my homework. Uh, Yeah, so 1790, and it wasn't, now I know that it wasn't repealed until 1965. Right. Um, So that's that's a long time for that to be in place. And Allison, can you uh, summarize a little more about Rappaport's Law? Yeah, so basically what happened was, um, sorry, I'm reviewing it right now, Hmm. um, there was a, a breach of this uh, statue of secrecy. Um, the keeper of treasure and dragons, so American wizarding money, um, his daughter Dorcas, um, <laughs> was um, at a picnic. She found this nice, handsome nomad called Bartholomew Barebone. Oops. Um, he was a scour descendant. And, uh, he found out she was a witch. Um, she wasn't a very good witch, but found out he was a witch nonetheless. Um, got some information from her, stole her wand, showed it to the press, um, and then went out to go kill and persecute any witches and wizards they could find. Uh, he was basically just trying to expose the wizarding community in America, um, and I believe it led to the large, one of the largest yes. memory charm operations in the U.S. up to that time. So it was yes. a bit of a problem. And of course, Besides listeners... Besides the big one in Fantastic Beasts? Yes. <laughs> Besides that. <laughs> Which, uh, you know, again, all of that would heretofore appear to be off record since Newt doesn't bother to write about it. Yeah. Um, uh, he's he's trying to sweep that under the carpet. But yeah. It, basically, it, it, it uh, introduced the laws that actually Tina talks about in Fantastic Beasts, where you can't befriend or marry no, or well, I guess it's Newt who talks about them too, mm. Tina. But um, not allowed to befriend or marry no mages, um, harsh penalties for doing so, um, and basically there was a huge split between the no mage community and the wizarding community, which is different from the European one, where they kind of are a little bit more integrated together, kind of working. Um, wizards are kind of working in and among muggles. So that prejudice so. kind of got that prejudice that's seen over in in, in Europe in Harry Potter um, actually ended up being ingrained into the law in the U.S. Yeah, um, and which was which is interesting. That, but at the same time, it seemed it would initially seem so flipped because. The big piece with Ilvermorny is that it was co-founded by a by a nomad. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and it seemed for quite a time it was it was acceptable to have no mages in the area because uh, not only is um, James is old Sayer's husband a, a nomad, but um, one of their children um, was a nomad as well. So there were yeah, a lot she of, was a squib who yeah. So there were a lot of so there were a lot of non magical folk. Yeah, I was thinking about that earlier. Like the all the enchantments couldn't have been put up until like after James was dead and and their child because how could they have been at Ilvermorny in the first thing about that? I wonder. I wonder, do you think there was, do you think if there was a way to make them, like, immune to those charms? I feel like there must be a way to, like, <laughs> can you, include can you make a exceptions? you know? Yeah, like, a, of, like, okay, this is against all non-magical people <laughs> except for these two. Like, they're fine. Or maybe it's, like, the Grangers, like Hermione's parents, where if they're mm. led by someone magical, they can access those places the way the Grangers can come into Diagon Alley. Um, so that I would assume it's something like that. So maybe, like, they just had to have um, Isolt or Chadwick or Webster or um, what's the other one? Ryanock. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, just make sure someone was there to help them. Or maybe they were, like, assigned one of the Puckwudgies to, like... <laughs> Oh, there you Help go. Yes, <laughs> yes. There is a whole there is a whole staff of puckwudgies at at Ilvermorny, thanks to uh, William, the first uh, puckwudgie there and the first one of uh, Isolt's first friends in the U.S. Um, he decided to st- he he begrudgingly decided to stick around the campus um, and has led a whole group of puckwudgies there ever since. And it is implied that uh, he is still there to this day, over three hundred years old. Um, taking care of the grounds. And- it's a long time at school. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's how long I feel like <laughs> I've been in school. Sounds <laughs> <laughs> about right. <laughs> but, but yeah, the the, the other uh, some other notable features about um, about Ilvermorny. It's located at the peak of Mount Greylock in Berkshire County, Massachusetts. So actually, Cat out of all of us is the closest to it. I believe she <laughs> she actually went there to look for it. Um, recently, uh, and uh, it, again, as as a reminder, it was it was created by James, an adult Sayer, um, and they were they were actually that that's another this this brings up another thing like you guys what, that what we were just talking about about Muggle involvement because James helped make the wands, um, yeah, he, he carved them that <laughs> that goes into some stuff we were talking about last week, um. About muggles and handling wands. Apparently, they can at least carve them. Well, and it's it's interesting to think because it says too that he like designed the original cottage and Isolt was able to like create it. So mm-hmm. it's interesting to I, I wonder like I mean I'm sure they work together, but I wonder if he was more on like the design end of here's how this should look. Maybe this has how we can make it work, and then she did the magic part of it, which I think is really cool. Like cool little team there to to get everything but i think i feel like then the castle might be less magical than hogwarts castle is if mm. if an, i mean if james designed it maybe there's less like trick staircases and like hidden doors <laughs> and it's a lot more straightforward to get around in hmm. we can actually get to our classes on time or at all 
Yeah. <laughs> like, why would you have staircases that change? That doesn't make sense. Well, um, on the flip side of that, though, James is known for having had a pretty ripe sense of humor. So it's possible that once he kind of got accustomed to magic, because he seemed to take great joy in it, once he understood more about it, he probably was just like showing her plans and be like, yes, yes, we must, we must build an upside down room right here. (laughs) (laughs) I hope so, because I feel it's really important to have those like (laughs) eccentricities about a magic school. So I hope those things show up somewhere. (laughs) I wonder though, if they're like less magical and more like, like trick rooms and stuff, you know, where there's like (laughs) secret trap doors and like more things that you don't need magic for that would just, that would be really funny to me, I think. And I can see him being like, all these wizard kids were going to like throw in some tricks that they're not going to get because they're, they're like muggles. I wonder what Ollivander would think of these different cores that they decided to use. Cause like they seem so random. I think he'd scoff at them. Yeah, like, I had to look up what a snallygaster even was today. Yeah. I don't know that I know. What I is a snallygaster? I don't remember. But, like, jackalope was, like, the most normal of them. And even then, I was like, why are we using jackalopes? Are there jackalopes in Massachusetts? That is so funny to me that they would use jackalope. That's one of the things that I'm like, that is Americana as heck. Snallygasters. Yeah. <laughs> are legendary dragon-like beasts said to inhabit the hills surrounding D.C. and Maryland. Oh. So. That's cool. This picture's kind of so terrifying. kind of our own version. Our, we- our own weird dragon. Yeah. In the U.S. <laughs> I love the jackalope because, like, jackalopes are really prominent in um, in the Southwest and New Mexico. Yeah. We, yeah. We, liter- we literally have a store there called jackalope. <laughs> So Which is interesting, right? That that would be like a prominent, because um, I don't know. I, I was also like familiar that it was like very jackalopes are prominent in the southwest, but I don't know enough about them being um, very like present in the northeast. So yeah, it's I've always thought of them more as like a western thing, like a more frontier kind of thing. Yeah. Um, well, see, okay, so this 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 bleeds into a little of what makes the Ilvermorny story and some of the other pieces on Pottermore a little problematic, um, because the jackalope and other creatures that are a lot of the other creatures that are referenced in the Ilvermorny story are actually um, come from Native American legend, um, and that's that's where this gets really kind of shaky, mm-hmm. um, because the other big thing is that uh, as much as we love. Uh, William the Pukwudgie, that's not what a Pukwudgie is, a Native American uh, right. legend. Yeah. And um, uh, it, she, a lot of people I, I, uh, who complained about that were very disappointed in how William was portrayed as this kind of subservient little kind of road trip buddy um, kind of character, which is not what a Pukwudgie is. Um it's hard for me to speak to all of these issues because I don't have as much uh, knowledge on Native American uh, culture and legend as I would perhaps like to have for this kind of discussion. Um, and it it varies from tribe to tribe, depending on uh, who you ask, because they all traveled all around the U.S., of course, and uh, shared... Uh, different cultural aspects with each other before 
everybody else showed up. Um, so there's a rich history there that uh, a lot of us, unfortunately, haven't learned. Um, at the at the same time, though, it's not the first time she's done something like this, where she's taken like the name of something in a mythology and totally changed what it actually is. Um, because basilisks in, uh, I think they're Greek. I'm pretty sure they're Greek. Um, Greek mythology, they're more like birds than mm -hmm. snakes, if I'm remembering correctly. So, I mean, I guess it's not, it's not the first time. Um, I mean, there's still some problems with that. But I think the problematic issue comes with that when, you know, we who are not Native American compare these uh, cultural aspects to mythology when in their... Yeah, yeah in their culture, it's not necessarily mythology the way that we define it. Um, it's actually more of a, it's, it's a belief. It's, it's a, um, it's, yeah, it's yeah. part of the real world. Um, so that's, yeah, that, I mean, I guess it depends on how you're defining, how you're defining mythology, because, um, if you're defining mythology in like more of an academic sense, a lot of times it includes like any kind of cultural story. So like mm. there's like biblical mythology too. Mm. Um, so I guess it just depends on how you're, how you're defining mythology. Um, if you're using it in the way that a lot of people use it, where it's like made up stories, or if, I mean, there's like more in the folkloric sense mm. of mm. mythology as cultural stories and beliefs that are told, passed down. But. Yeah. And I think like <clears throat> on that note, and I, I, this is kind of an aside, but I think it's something to think about because Michael, you mentioned, you know, you don't know as much as you would perhaps like, and I would definitely put myself in that camp too. And I think this is a really, you know, I think there was like, uh, it was kind of problematic the way it was rolled out and probably the way it was responded to yeah. when this first came out. And I think this is really should be an opportunity for us, particularly Americans, um, who, you know, are living on Native American lands to like take this as a chance to learn about um, the culture that, you know, preceded us. And that is something that J.K. Rowling drew from. And I'm saying this is myself, too. I definitely need to learn and know more. I think that's, you know, a thing that we should all really strive to do. Um, and it's it's a good way to, like, connect um, how cult, something that's, like, very important culturally can inspire imagination later on. I agree. Yeah, I was I was actually thinking of that in terms of um, uh, recently. I recently got to see Disney's Moana, which was fantastic, listeners. If you haven't seen it, by the way, um, a lot of people just kind of passed it by. But it's probably one of Disney's best recent films. And I say that as somebody who saw Zootopia six times. Um, <laughs> but the, the, so good. The, the neat thing about Moana is that it was it was there was a lot of. Uh, there was a lot of deep research that went into it and uh, a lot of uh, cultural advisors that took part in the film and the um, there was a also an effort to cast um, people from the culture portrayed in the film um, and it and it, it what's neat about it is that of a long time ago in the in like the somewhere in the mid to late 90s somebody wrote, <laughs> Somebody wrote to Disney asking them why they didn't tell more story, more um, why they didn't do any African fairy tales, and some idiot representative wrote back from Disney and said, "Because there are no African fairy tales." <laughs> and, oh my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> so look how far we've come. Um, it's 
it's an issue of just being of 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 ignorance and and uh kind of just playing with the little you have. I think you can even see that difference going from a film like Pocahontas to a film like Moana. Moana in my opinion is the apology for Pocahontas <laughs> in a lot of ways. Um and Pocahontas kind of suffers from the same issues that the Ilvermorny piece does where there is kind of uh there there's clearly not really an interest in in an accurate portrayal so much as a how can i take this to fit my own ends um or my world i do wonder how much of that was like i do wonder though how much of that was like just not having information available um <clears throat> because it's not i mean it's an unfortunate thing that this hasn't been shared more and i know i know there are reasons for it a lot of reasons for it that but i wonder too how much i i feel like it, it might be a mix of both things of like trying to fit it to make it to fit her world and also just especially not being in america and like being steeped in culture and things um that that could be a part of it as well well, and I was curious if, uh, you know, and she's she's been quite uh, mum on this topic, but I have been curious if she if she did attempt to reach out for information um, or, you know, what what did she perhaps attempt to do? Because I think what we do know about Rowling is that she is very um, knowledgeable about uh, cultures and myths and um that kind of information. I think she's like Hermione. She very much soaks up a lot of book knowledge. Um, she seems to just have all, a lot of that in her head. And I'm kind of curious if she kind of just depended on herself to get this information or if she actually went yeah. to somebody else for it, because based on the response that this got from the native American community, she didn't ask anybody. Um, so I, I would be, I'm just curious to know more about that because of course, Pottermore itself also got a lot of backlash for the way that they designed the house logos um, and kind of lifting uh, of Native American mm-hmm. imagery. Right. They got in a lot of trouble for that, too. So it's it, it, there. There's there's a fine line that's being towed here. Um, and it's it is. I think the the part that is a little frustrating is that this is um this is a good story. Like this, like again, this is one of the better stories that came out of Pottermore. It's got a full beginning, middle, end narrative, um, and it and it works within the world of Harry Potter. But when it gets into that issue, it kind of be. And I think the other thing, and this kind of goes to your question a little bit, Caleb, but. You know, really, when you look at it, too, using all of these, this Native American imagery, Native Americans really don't have a lot to do with Ilvermorny itself. Um, They didn't found it. They went to it, as the story says. It mentions a few Native American tribe members who actually went. And in the story, it said that they attended because they wanted to trade knowledge um, because as Rowling has defined in her world, Native American magic works a little differently than European magic. Um, I wonder if that's part of the like democratic and least elitist kind of schools. You know, I, I wonder if that's part of that bit. If she's kind of hinting at, well, maybe they accept 
different kinds of magic more than like some of the European schools do where it's like they're taught only how to use a wand. Maybe students here are taught wandless magic more and like more um, more of the kind of in her world, the Native American like magical traditions mm. um, more than just one way how to do things, you know? Yeah, it does make me wonder if there's a like Native American school of magic somewhere too and we just don't get to know about it. Um, as much but if they've got their own type of magic I wonder if they've got a school set up or if it's just kind of traditions yeah I think there's gotta be I think and some of the like sorry Michael Um, oh I was just gonna say that the reason I like kind of that that's that's a great question um Nicole because I I I was kind of just surprised at how much of a carbon copy of Hogwarts Ilvermorny is um I was expecting it to be a little more different uh, than, I mean, it, it literally has Slytherin's wand on the grounds that grew into a tree. (laughs) So (laughs) like, and And I I, I get the concept that, yeah, the four houses and yeah. And it, it makes sense. It makes sense the way that she framed the story that it would be the way it is. I mean, the, the sorting ceremony is even, a leftover concept that Rowling was going to use for but Hogwarts. So it it didn't end up, I guess, being as perhaps. But I think that's interesting to think about because that's, oh, that that's very like early American. I mean, like we formed a lot of our political and like sociological systems off of British systems because that's what, that's what the people who were setting up the government knew. So, um, mm-hmm. like, I mean, like, the way that there's, like, two houses in Congress mirrors, like, two houses of Parliament, mm. um, because that's kind of what the founders knew. So, I mean, that makes sense to me in a lot of ways, that um, kind of taking the basic structure and then making it into something a little bit different and it kind of evolving into something different as time went on in a new location kind of I think maybe my potential disappointment and confusion about it comes from the back when we first got the announcement that we were going to get these pieces about the school and the first piece that you know that another another major piece that came out about America was the the first piece about the native americans which was not a very good piece unfortunately (laughs) yeah um but in that rolling kind of defined that there wasn't really much as as much of a separation between the european magical settlers and the native american wizards because they had already kind of known about each other um thanks to apparition and faster travel and abilities to see each other um more um uh, um, more efficient ways to do that um and with that said, I kind of saw the opportunity there for more more Native American involvement, I guess, um, for an opportunity to break away from just the wizards constantly mirroring the Muggle nomad yeah. society. Um, because in every other way, Rowling kind of goes to the effort to be like, no, it's not the same. Look how different it is and how their society developed differently. Um and then with this, she was kind of just like, yeah, just kidding. This is just Hogwarts again. 
So that was that was the only part that put me off, I guess, was that there she set up the potential and then she didn't end up going through with it. Which is why I'm curious about like coursework then. Um mm. especially like knowing that they were trying to exchange some knowledge. Like I wonder if the coursework then is like vastly different than um well, that than would, what like Hogwarts does. That would make sense because Isolt is self-taught. Mm-hmm. Um, and most of her knowledge came from kind of just what she figured out and what um, probably a little bit of what she might have gotten from uh, Chadwick and Webster. Um, they might have known a tiny amount before they came to her um, because they were both in a magical family um, that allowed them to use magic. Um, so there might have been a little bit of trade-off there, but the, yeah, the, then with the with Native American families coming to Ilvermorny, um, as is mentioned in the piece, um, both adults and children at the time, um, there definitely would have been an introduction to things like, like you mentioned, Allison, wandless magic and other forms of magic that we're not as familiar with in the Potter universe. And we know at least their charms class is different too. Yeah, yeah. Why? Yeah, they have they have a different. I mean, Chadwick wrote the books for the classes, so we know they're not studying necessarily the same exact terms as, as Hogwarts either. Mm-hmm. So they're not doing like standard book of spells. So I would think then then they've got lots of different things in there than they would have gotten at. Yeah, Chadwick wrote the charm. Yeah, yeah. Charms. So they're not using they're not using the standard book of spells. So then they're right. I would assume they're getting something different than than um, than what's in that one. Probably. Well, and then uh, uh, um, the their defense against the dark arts was initially taught by Isolt's daughter. Um, so that was that would have been different as well. And the one thing I realized, and I don't know, uh, there's no there's no definitive statement about this, and so I don't know what's going on as far as this goes, but. Do they play Quidditch or do they play quad pot? I would say, aren't they more quad pot? Doesn't that say that in Quidditch of the Ages? So, yeah, that, America, the the, well, that's why more? I asked, because in America, quad pot is more popular, but quad pot wasn't introduced in, in the U.S. until the 1800s. Um, and Quidditch was but going did... strong before that. Isolt wouldn't Did have Did Isolt know about Quidditch? She wouldn't have. She would have maybe... Yeah, she's pretty sheltered. She, she, she would have maybe known what it was generally, but she probably would never have played it. Um, and I think Chadwick and Webster would have been too young, so they probably hmm. wouldn't know much either. So they play... So maybe they play quad pot, which is... If you guys, if listeners, if you don't know what Quad Pod is, make sure and crack open your copy of Quidditch Through the Ages because uh, Quad Pod is lame. <laughs> so, but what, it, what what would what would they do in the interim, like before Quad Pod got um, invented or whatever? Because that's maybe they played know. like a wizard version of like lacrosse or something. That would be sweet. <laughs> that's like so northeast too. <laughs> that's so right. I think. <laughs> And let me, because I just <laughs> well, and that's like passed down from Native American games too. So I was like, gonna say that that would be awesome. Actually. Yeah. <laughs> what if it's like a mix of like quad pot and lacrosse, and where instead it's like an exploding lacrosse ball? <laughs> they have to like throw it on purpose. That would be interesting. 
That'd be cool. I did think of something, though, that might support um, uh, Ilvermorny learning different kinds of spells and stuff. Um, in Fantastic mm. Beasts, when Queenie and Jacob are trying to break into Graves' office, she uses Alohomora, but she also uses another spell. Um, like yeah, another unlocking spell. It's like Aberto or something. Yeah, that's what I it always remember. sounded I like look to it me. Up. But that's like the only other spells that are in that whole movie. So, um, because I think most of the rest of the time everybody uses um, nonverbal magic. So mm-hmm. I guess that could support um, that idea of they're learning different things than just like the unlocking spell is just a Lohamora. Um Yeah, that's interesting. I wonder if like, cause I didn't think too much about the fact that there's a lot, it's predominantly nonverbal magic and fantastic beasts. So I wonder if that is, cause on one hand I could just easily be like, you know, a production choice, but our uh, directing choice, script choice, whatever. But I wonder if that's like um, representative of, like the focus of the magic and the overmorning, if there's just like more of a focus on it there. Yeah. Hmm. That's interesting. Oh, there, there is a, <laughs> I wanted to m- check and make sure I had to go to the Harry Potter wiki to check because I've, <laughs> I'm moving to a new apartment. So I've packed up all my Harry Potter books, but, uh, the, the Fitchburg Finches are a U.S. Quidditch team that come out of Fitchburg, oh, Massachusetts. Right. So there is there is a Quidditch team in Massachusetts. Um, there's also uh, Caleb is a fellow Texan. You'll appreciate this. There is a, yep. there's a Texas team. Um, the San Antonio's All Stars. Close. No, Sweet, Sweetwater All Stars. Sweetwater All Stars. Yeah. yeah. For some reason, I was thinking it was in San Antonio. Maybe it's because I'm selfishly putting them there. <laughs> I'm about to move there. <laughs> they are based out of Sweetwater, Texas. So maybe. Maybe they play all sorts of sports. Maybe it's more like American high schools where there's like 20 different sports you can choose to play rather than like, I mean, I would assume they do that in Britain too, but, um, but like, it's a bigger deal in America of like, there's like baseball season and football season and basketball season for high school sports. And so maybe there's like quad pot season and Quidditch season and, um, this cool lacrosse game <laughs> I now want. It doesn't have a name yet. <laughs> <laughs> no, got to start with a Q though. Yeah, um. listeners, you have to. You'll have to think of a. You'll have to think of a name for us for this cool magical lacrosse uh, that they play at at that Ilvermorny in our fan version. Uh, a few other notable things about the campus, as mentioned before, there is a snakewood tree that has grown on campus, bearing medicinal leaves because it was grown from Slytherin's wand as uh, as the story goes uh, uh, Gormlegant uh, Isolt's evil aunt put her put that wand to sleep so that uh, Isolt could no longer use it by speaking partial tongue to it um, it had a basilisk horn in its core and uh, uh, it was buried on the grounds because Isolt didn't want to use it anymore and it was inactive anyway oh. and it sprouted the tree um, so again, a little bit of leftover of Slytherin, but Slytherin's a nice half, apparently, um, on the grounds there, leaving medicinal healing leaves. Uh, there are also now marble statues of Isolt and James at the front doors. Uh, the Gordian Knot is everywhere, um, in tribute to Isolt's parents. Does Now, I, I didn't have time to look it up. Does anybody recall what the uh, symbol of the Gordian Knot 
is is like what it symbolizes often used as a metaphor for an intractable problem so it's an impossible so alexander the great was told there was this kingdom that there was an impossible knot to untie and whoever untied it got to rule the kingdom and being too lazy to (laughs) actually try and untie the knot he just took out his sword and cut through it and so yeah it's basically like coming up with a clever solution to a impossible problem. It sounds like a Google interview question. <laughs> hey, like, I don't know how, if you guys are familiar with this, but well, I won't go on a tangent. But if you like interview with Google, they ask you like really random questions that are like seemingly impossible to answer in a short amount of time, but they just want to see how you process the question and get to a creative solution. Like, how many huh. pencils will it take to fill this room? Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> so google just wants ravenclaws and (laughs) yeah i have no answer i have no clever answer for that dang i'm well i won't be working at google well how does that how does how do you guys think the gordian knot then relates to the story of ilvermorny or what ilvermorny represents within harry potter yeah that's a good question (laughs) (laughs) it has nothing to do with it (laughs) doesn't it have some because she brought it it was her mother's right yeah as far as like the Um, meaning in the story is it was the last thing that survived the fire of the of the cottage i mean the only thing i can think is that isolt was basically her her life was kind of an impossible situation that she found a way out of um she and she did the simplest thing you could do she just left um, that's really the only thing I can think of that kind of fits it. Maybe, maybe JKR was thinking about, uh, like, Native American mythology and how was she going to get this all world together and it felt like a Gordian knot. <laughs> it felt impossible. Um, <laughs> yeah, there you go. I don't know. So, so she was like, I'll just use a symbol from Ireland instead. Throw it in there. <laughs> um, throw it in there, just letting them all know this is how I was feeling. Um... <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't know. And if you if you watched listeners the uh, the promotional video that came before the release of the um, the Ilvermorny piece, the they they definitely ran with that Gordian knot uh, imagery because you can see it in pretty much every shot of the video. Um, it's like in their vision, it's covering the school, um, and it is. There is a giant Gordian knot in the right in the uh, the center of the hall of the main hall where people get sorted. See, that makes me kind of think too of, um, it's a little different. Um, but it, it kind of makes me think of the principle of Occam's razor where when presented with a, uh, kind of seemingly outlandish problem or situation, um, the solution, the best solution is usually the simplest one. Mm. so it's kind of it's kind of similar to that i wonder i i was just curious too if that may be like a guiding philosophy at ilvermorny like to not maybe overthink or to maybe not overcomplicate things um which would be interesting for a school philosophy i guess (laughs) it's also a knot so it could be something about like unity and like Mm. people coming together and forming this really strong impossible to break apart not so like the thing that hogwarts was never able to figure out how to do (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah so maybe maybe ilvermorny's more united i mean maybe they don't have as much 
separation or discrimination about things like houses and that would go along with like most that. democratic and least elitist yeah if they were okay so maybe we kind of found out where that comes from if that if that's embedded in the school's philosophy i suppose that would make sense um and uh <laughs> recent just just before this episode actually listeners uh <laughs> last night how fortunate <laughs> uh thanks to all of the business that's going on at uh the um at the celebration of harry potter at the wizarding world park uh we <laughs> we got the full school song i love it <laughs> <laughs> The fun thing to note about this is that this song was mainly written by Alison Sudol, who played Queenie. Um, it was kind of a, co-written and approved by Rowling, so it is the official Ilvermorny song. Caw, caw, caw. <laughs> we stand as one, united against the Puritan. We draw our inspiration from good witch Morrigan. For she was persecuted by common wandless man. So she fled from distant Ireland, and so our school began. Oh, Ilva Morning, Massachusetts, we choose it, we choose choose it. The wizard school supreme. Your castle walls that kept us safe. Days with you a dream. You taught us all a magic, and now one thing's quite clear. Where we roam, where we roam, I want you home, I wanna own is silver morning. It's so Americana, I love it. It's in, yeah. the fun, the 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 one interesting piece in it is that it actually um, misstates why Isol left Europe. Yeah, um, and it, which is interesting. Yeah, it says that she was persecuted by muggles, um, and that's why she left, which is why she is, is somewhat correct. That is why she left the Puritan community once she got to the U.S. Because um, mm-hmm. she felt uncomfortable. Not because she was persecuted, but she knew she would be if she stayed. Because um, she, she did go over on the Mayflower, and she knew that it wasn't going to be good if she hung around with um muggles at the time um so that's that was interesting that they ended up switching that up not sure if that was just because it worked better for the rhyming scheme of the song (laughs) (laughs) or maybe it's like the kids don't know maybe that's not like a common knowledge you know Mm -hmm. i wonder i wonder who wrote this (laughs) it's it it was allison it was allison sudal no sorry i meant like oh in in canon the world yeah like who wrote that because it's it's funny because if you listen to it it's a ukulele yeah that's accompanying them <laughs> which is not what you think would show up in a um in a, <laughs> in a song written in massachusetts necessarily <laughs> which makes me wonder like when were there like kids from the hawaiian islands and like pacific islands coming to ilvermorny and did that change later um was that the original way it was written with this with this ukulele in the background i want it to be one of the puck wedgies and then they'll never they'll never admit it but i want it to be one of the puck wedgies (laughs) as a puck wedgie i would support that (laughs) 
otherwise though other than that little discrepancy it pretty much it pretty much summarizes it uh correctly um it has a very affectionate tone uh about ilvermorny um and it's and just as just as prideful though as as hogwarts in many ways um <laughs> so but a, a little less focused on the actual education and more on kind of the like comfortable aspect of of ilvermorny yeah um so it's a very cozy little song too the Hogwarts, the Hogwarts school song is more like education. Teach us. This one is more like this is our little sanctuary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> well, and listeners, <laughs> which I think is cute. If you, while while the uh, books do have uh, do clarify, Sorcerer's Stone clarifies that there is no fixed tune for the Hogwarts school song. If you pull out your bonus CD or your bonus your second disc on your Goblet of Fire DVD, you you can hear the <laughs> tune they chose for the Hogwarts. <laughs> um, Hogwarts school theme, and it it in, it has a little coordinated syncopated hand dance that goes along with it. <laughs> um, so it's so it's adorable and kind of sad, um, but it, but very <laughs> funny. Uh, and uh, the now the now another interesting thing too about the um, culture and education at Ilvermorny is that actually wands are we already kind of touched on the fact that they have very different cores. But the way wands are even handled at the school is very different. You get your wand after you get sorted. Um, you you are led into a very large room with a selection of wands to choose from. Um, and it doesn't say, too, whether the selection process goes like Ollivander's process, where you get a wand placed in your hand until you get the right one. That seems exhausting, because I'm assuming there's a lot of students going to this school. <laughs> um and uh, the other interesting thing is that the students don't get to take their wands home with them thanks to Rappaport's law. Um, that's not the case anymore, but up until 1965, uh, they had to leave their wands at Ilvermorny over the summer, um, and they wouldn't get full ownership of their wand until they turned 17. Um, I think that's fascinating. That would totally change like, the wizarding school culture. I mean, because you wouldn't have the thing of like, wizard-born kids at, like you do at Hogwarts or wizard-born kids they can't tell who's doing magic so those kids could be doing it but like Harry gets in trouble for doing magic in front of a muggle like you know there wouldn't be any of that happening um mm. there wouldn't be the taboo like all those sorts of things wouldn't wouldn't happen so it's almost like these kids it is it's like they go to school and it's a sanctuary and then they kind of have to go back in a lot of ways, to living nomad lives when they go home for the summer. See, this now this kind of brings into question, Allison, what you had brought up, the possibility that they were sharing magical knowledge with Native Americans, because if Native Americans practice wandless magic... Oh, yeah, that is true. Well, what? Yeah, I was about to say, you know, what if at home they aren't... Well, obviously they aren't doing one wand-based magic but what if they're doing something else at home exclusively that's really interesting because that also suggests that's cool well and that also opens up to a possibility of if if that because it would seem that the ban on bringing wands home until they turn 17 if that is a consequence of Rappaport's law which it suggested that it is um then what happens if they're it, it, then, then that would suggest that the idea is that 
you use magic over the summer, you get in trouble. Um, very similar to the ways that Harry did. Um, that would we would seem to have had an effect it, on the Native American community if their primary way of using magic yeah. was wandless magic. Um, maybe then it's more serious if they get caught using it at home. Mm. Maybe like instead of like how Harry gets like warnings and like expelled, maybe it's like you get adult repercussions. Yeah, like you'll go to jail if. <laughs> kids use it at home i feel like american wizards would be really good at using wandless magic because you've got to have a lot of determined kids who are like no i want to use magic right now (laughs) and i feel like i feel like the thing it seems in Rappaport's law and in like the scours and stuff is wands like that's how they know that someone's using magic so i feel like maybe wandless magic would be easier to slide past them it could just be like coincidence or something like that well that it could be explained away more. that's that's interesting because that that kind of references back to chamber of secrets when harry gets in trouble for something that dobby does um and the the, mm. the his the, the magic isn't necessarily tracked on harry so like like individually in his magic with his wand it's it's tracked with magic just in his vicinity um that yeah. wasn't even used by him that brings up a lot of complications about how the American system works with dealing with underage magic. Um, what do they do with like kids and like accidental magic? Yeah, like I how do they how do they control that? Because this seems like because the especially Fantastic Beasts building on the pieces from Pottermore suggests that there are really strict consequences for it. Maybe that's grounds for immediate expulsion. Or something of the sort, which would be awful, but it's possible. I don't know. Um, I know the the only other school that I can think of that has really extreme punishments like that is um, the Japanese wizarding school, Mahutokoro. Um, yeah, yeah. The and Mahutokoro, they their robes uh, turn a different color if they've used dark magic and they get expelled from school. Um, so, and I guess that, you know, that's, that's specifically dark magic, but it seems to suggest, you know, if they're, uh, I guess the, the, the robes are like pure white, um, and they change color if they, if they, um, deviate from the ways of the school. So that, but that's, that's the Japanese school as far as their punishments go. I don't know what they do in America. So as we saw from the Fantastic Beasts, Serafina Pickery seems to be upholding a long line of, uh, rules um yeah she does not budge on them so not sure about that which honestly to me like kind of to draw my like bigger question i think it certainly fits with like the american magical narrative that at least to what we have been exposed so far particularly what we saw in fantastic beasts mm-hmm. but it like the question that i asked at the beginning you know what makes it american as far as thinking like quote muggle slash nomad americans splitting from britain i don't think that's like the same narrative um it's seen i uh, i mean i guess in some ways but i just sort of see you know america creating a somewhat more liberal society we won't get into the details of how that is certainly not true in a lot of cases but like comparing it against like the rigid formality and rules of what they were trying to escape in england and it almost seems kind of the flip in some ways here. Yeah, that by escaping from 
England to the U.S., they ended up kind of backtracking yeah. and making things worse for themselves. Yeah. Um, and that's that that's all introduced with the whole concept of the scourers, which is a very I still think is one of the worst things that was introduced in Harry Potter because it doesn't make sense to me still. Um, but because the, the, the scourers and I'm I feel like there is probably some historical li- thing that lines up with the scourers because the scourers are like mercenaries, like they are sent out by the UK government to capture troublemakers in the US, but then they ended up kind of becoming troublemakers themselves and going rogue um and then uh, taking revenge out by why don't i remember any of that oh it, that's what they are <laughs> and then they they their revenge is that they because then once the once the law is properly established in the u.s they go after the scourers um i thought wow why did i think they were like squibs and that kind of comes farther down the line because their revenge against the wizarding community is that they went into hiding and they married nomadges and they like cut wizards out of their family lines. Like they weeded out their wizarding children until they had muggle children. Um, but they told their muggle children that wizards existed so that they would go kill them. So it's it was kind of like a really roundabout way to set up that wizards were like that there was there were muggles who had knowledge of wizards who were involved in the Salem witch trials was basically the really long way of doing that. Um, So it gets a little muddled on that part. But to go back to your question, Caleb, I guess I guess what based on what we've said so far, especially with the what we were talking about with the Gordian knot um, is almost like. Ilvermorny in its own little bubble is almost like a perfect conflict-free idealized version of what America is supposed to be, I guess. Hmm. Yeah. Um, cause there, the other than Isolde's conflict with her aunt, which she wins, uh, Ilvermorny doesn't seem to have much turmoil surrounding it and welcomes all as we've established. And, uh, they all work, all the houses work in harmony to make the school stronger. Um, and everybody comes from all, all over North America. So that it's, it's like the, it, it really like Ilvermorny kind of represents the idyllic American. Sure. Yeah. I see that vision, a very simplified version of it, I suppose. And that, that kind of gets a little more into the, the big stuff with, uh, the houses. Um, so the, before we get into the houses, the way that you are chosen for your house is the sorting ceremony at Ilvermorny, like I mentioned, is is a leftover of what Rowling thought would be a concept for Hogwarts. Um, initially, she had uh, planned that the four house uh, founders from Hogwarts would be statues and they would come to life and um, select the student. That ended up being kind of imported over to Ilvermorny instead. And the four house uh, animals are and creatures are made into statues and they come to life the interesting thing though and another piece about democratic i guess the democratic aspect is that more than one house can pick a student and the student if that happens to them gets the option of which house they want um did any of you get an option when you did it on pottermore or did you just get a house 
I just got a house. I just got a house. Got a house. Yeah, I was thinking about that because we know when the Potter, first off, the the Ilverbordy sorting is like the magical version of the voice in the chair squad. (laughs) So let's just be clear about that. Uh, But no, so pretty quickly we knew that um, hat stalls were happening on the Pottermore sorting quiz for Hogwarts when that started. I have heard of no one choosing for Ilvermorny. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Too, especially because the choice aspect is way more stressed in Ilvermorny than it is at Hogwarts. Right. Hmm. So if listeners, <laughs> please let us know, first off, because um, that seems strange. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And we know that it's also possible to be selected by all, all four houses, which is crazy. I don't know how you would choose. Yeah. Like, I don't know what that says to be a four-way Yes, br- bringing that up again, that, that bringing her up again, Serafina Pickery, uh, the minister, the or the president of Makuza at the time of Newt's commander's little adventure, was chosen by all four houses, and she chose Horned Serpent. Um, and it is mentioned in the piece that that is a very rare occurrence that happens, like, what was it, once a decade or something like that? Um yeah, very like it's it's very rare. It says. Yeah. So, but I mean, that's still that's about all four houses. There's still a chance. There's still a more likely chance that you'll get chosen by at least two houses. Like, I feel like you would have to then be told a little bit about the houses before you went, because what if you were a a nomad-born kid and they were just like, look, like, these houses have picked you. What are you gonna pick? And you're just like, I don't. No. Like, what would you do? Would you just be like, I like birds. I'm, I'm going to go. <laughs> like, I have no idea what that means, but like birds are cool. Like that looks cool. I don't know. Like, well, that, yeah. Cause I mean, that kind of is the, the anxiety that Harry has before he gets to Hogwarts, yeah. but his ends up not being merited because the hat does all the work for him. Um, he has very little input into that. Um, more so than maybe most students, based on the plot. But uh, yeah, no, that's the, you definitely have to have some kind of foreknowledge of what the house is like, the basic representation of each house, I suppose. Um, before you, go. well, maybe that's maybe that is part of the process because we know at Hogwarts that you know a representative from the school comes to tell the family what's happened. So maybe that's part of that orientation process. Maybe the orientation process in the U.S. is a little better. And the UK one. <laughs> Maybe they give them more of an orientation. <laughs> Instead of being like, here's a deadly school, find your classes. They're like, all right, so here's a map. And here's what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of be there at 11 sharp. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Guess what? You're magical. I'm not going to tell you where that is. Yeah. Walk through this wall. Um, go get your stuff. This is a culture you're not at all familiar with. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah maybe that is maybe that's the difference um but uh that when and you know the the the, the uh, houses of course we should probably summarize what they are um i think by now hopefully the listeners would know uh we have horned serpent which is actually um I'll, I'll let you know two listeners who who chose it in the original um founding and what it represents uh horned serpent was selected by isolt it is meant to represent the mind and scholars. Um, as And as mentioned before, one of the known students from that house is Serafina Pickery. Uh, Wampus, which was chosen by Webster, one of his old sons, which is uh, meant to represent the body or warriors. 
There is no known student in this house, but Rowling said theoretically if he had gone to Ilvermorny, J- Jacob Kowalski, uh, Newt's nomad friend, would have been in Wampus. Uh, Puckwudgie was chosen by his old husband, James. That is the home of hearts and healers. And one of the known students, I was very happy we guessed this one correctly. Uh, <laughs> Queenie Goldstein was a Puckwudgie. And finally, Thunderbird, uh, chosen by Chadwick for the, the, for the soul and adventurers. And again, another correct choice on our part. A, one, of the, one of the known students for that house, Corpentina Goldstein, um, resided in Thunderbird. Now, uh, uh, I'll say for myself as a reminder, I'm a Thunderbird. Uh, what were all of our Ilvermorny houses again? I'm Pukwudgie. Pukwudgie. Thunderbird. So we're split between... Okay, so, okay, 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 okay. <laughs> so this is going to be very interesting now. Here we go. So, <laughs> so we've got two Thunderbirds and two Pukwudgies. We've also got... We've got one definitive Gryffindor, two definitive Hufflepuffs, and one kind of in the middle dancing between Gryffindor and Hufflepuff. <laughs> um, yeah. How interesting... Because Caleb, you, and Allison... Both, both, um, both puckwudgies. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm very firmly a puckwudgie. I mean, I took it on both my accounts, and both times it was like puckwudgie. I was like, oh. <laughs> hmm. So yeah, so that that's interesting because um, I've like when I took the quiz, I thought I was going to be horned serpent. Um, oh. I don't know if that what and I wasn't really I don't know if that what that says related to Gryffindor or not. Um, I was kind of I was pretty surprised when I got sorted in Pukwudgie, but I think I fully think that's the right one for me. Um, and I think the reason why I was uh, not so sure about it in the beginning is because I was stuck in this Hogwarts framework, mm-hmm. and I for me and I know this is something you want to discuss a little further, like. When I thought about it more, I thought these houses aren't the same houses. Um, I think it's it's fascinating because I think it's so much more complex than that. Um, but they just don't line up exactly. That's so. This is something we have to. I because I, it's. I, I'm already seeing this here, and it'd be listeners. I, I call upon you to in the comments this week list your Hogwarts house and your Ilvermorny house, and let's see if we can do some research about this because. Um, a lot of people, and I, I see this. The hard thing is, I haven't. A lot of people just who I know casually haven't sorted themselves into Ilvermorny yet because a lot of people who are casual Harry Potter fans or not Harry Potter fans don't care, sadly. Um, yeah. They're like, Ilvermorny? What's Ilvermorny? Well, now you know because you've listened to Alohomora. But uh, I, I do know too. What was funny was my roommate, Leandra, who is also a Hufflepuff like me, a very strong, proud Hufflepuff like myself. Um, also got sorted into Thunderbird, like me. Um, and the interesting thing about that, too, is that the Ilvermorny quiz, um, it, like the sorting quiz, has a chain of questions um, that, depending on what you answer in certain questions, will lead you to other questions, and you'll get some random ones in between, and you'll never really get the same quiz each time. And these are crazy questions. I remember taking it and I was like, what the heck? Like, they were hard. The 
the Hogwarts house ones, I feel like, are a little bit easier to make a decision between. But there are a couple of these that I was like, are you joking? Like, how am I supposed to answer this question? Well, and there's, there, like, I'm looking at but some of we'll these. Get there. Um, I'm, because I don't, because I didn't, you know, I took it, I took it, um, I think I took it once because I don't think I've sorted myself on my second account into Elvermarnie. Um, and some of these questions I'm looking at, like, like one of them here, the one of the last questions you could get is, you can rescue a baby or the only bottle of a potion that could save a thousand lives. Which do you save? <laughs> the baby? Yeah, that one, I was like, what? Or the bottle. <laughs> the baby. The bottle only might save a thousand lives. The bottle. The chance of saving a thousand lives is too important to miss. Uh, crazy thing. Which is the better motto? It is nobler to be deceived than to be mistrustful. Friends should not de- demand blind faith. Um, no curse can work without the victim's secret consent. True or false? That was the question I got. Um, they, yeah, I got that one too. I w- and I thought that was a really interesting one because I was like, ooh, is that like something that's taught? Or is that like a known thing in the wizarding world? Like... Oh, a, yeah. a curse can't work without your consent. I thought that was really like I actually I I remember sitting thinking about it for a really long time, because um, these were these were good questions. Um, the the next one's the one that throws me every time. Which one's that? I take so long. The think of the question you most you would most like answered by a person or an all knowing being or device. Which of the following most closely resembles the answer you'd like to hear? And I remember that was this the weirdest question. In London, mm-hmm. it was, and I'm like sitting there. I think I was on my phone taking this, and I was just like, "Are you kidding me right now? I have to think of a question and the answer I want. Like, what are you talking about?" I was gonna say that's how I felt during the Patronus quiz of just like what I don't remember for the question or what it was, but I could it was like think of the thing, and then it was all of a sudden like off and gone. And- Like, what thing did I think of? But having to think of things and come up with answers based on that was weird for me. Yeah, that was one of the strangest ones for me, too, because I, I really thought about the question. I, th- I actually think the first question that I thought of, I looked through all the options and I was like, none of these answer my question. <laughs> like, <laughs> none of these actually, like, fit the tense for what should be the answer to my question. Um, yeah, there are some really... Uh, crazy questions. And these questions are pretty distinctly different from the Hogwarts questions. Yeah. Um, I don't really know what it is about them that makes them so different. Like, what jinx would you least like to experience? A jinx that meant nothing was funny. A jinx that made all food taste like straw. A jinx that kept you constantly awake. That played music constantly in your head. Struck you dumb. Or forced you to tell the truth. <laughs> That's... Ooh. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I know Leandra chose the straw one because she was like, oh, Michael, food is delicious. And I can't even think <laughs> about a world where food tastes like straw, <laughs> which I thought was hilarious. But well, and then like my greatest weakness is nobody's business but mine. What makes me me the source of my greatest strength, something I must change. Like that's like getting existential there almost <laughs> like <laughs> That's some pretty, it's some pretty deep stuff. But with whereas the Hogwarts questions, I feel like were more like concrete. You know, like they were more about if they had asked that question in the 
Hogwarts one, it would have been like, my greatest weakness is like, to really simplify the Pottermore test is like that. Being evil, mm-hmm. like <laughs> being too nice. I don't know. Like something like that, I feel like would have. Well, yeah, because yeah, when Hogwarts we went through it, like. when we went through the wand quiz, um, and I think we were thinking too about some of the things that like it, the, the, I think the, the sorting hat quiz asks things like, it, it does ask things like, uh, what is, what do you fear the most or you know, more straightforward things like that. It it doesn't get quite as... Uh, and then it asks, like, by the end of it, uh, I think, doesn't it ask things like, left or right, day or night, black or white, kind of stuff. Um, so that, mm-hmm. com- that comes up, too. So, yeah, it's definitely a little bit of a different structure. Um, and so what are... what With that said, what are everybody's opinions um, about comparing... Ilvermorny to Hogwarts. And Nicole, I'll, I'll let you weigh in on that first as our guest. I think at first I was trying to compare them a lot. And like I'm looking at the description for Thunderbird and seeing if that fits me and how that compares to me being a Hufflepuff. And I just don't know if they do compare because they were kind of like the animals are picked so kind of random by the, like by the kids and by as old. Mm. And, um, that I don't know if there is much of a comparison except that there's four. Um, but then also I look at them and I try to like, I'm like, oh, well, Horned Serpent seems like Ravenclaw. And then to me, Wampus feels more like Gryffindor than Horned Serpent, like based on like the simple descriptions we have. Mm. But I feel like we just need more. We don't have enough. Caleb, what are your thoughts? <clears throat> yeah, so I mean, I, they, for me, it's, impossible for me to try to line them up with um, the Hogwarts houses. Um, And I wonder if like part of that is us thinking about it in a different like age frame, right? So we read, many of us read the Harry Potter books when we were close in age to the characters, not all of us. I know a lot of people, you know, started them at a later age or, um, you know, just weren't around that age. But I would imagine, and if you're in that group, certainly correct me by, like, responding on the site, but you probably imagine the houses um, yourself at that age. Um, at least that's what I've heard people talk about. So mm. for me, and so for me, like, I realize this is kind of a privileged situation, but I read the books, started reading Harry Potter when I was 10 and 11. So I did the same, was at that age, and I thought of myself as a Gryffindor based on those qualities then in my life. Um, and now I think, you know, sorting in over morning when I'm like, uh, what was this last year? So it would have been like 27 years old. I am obviously a very different person. I'm not just more mature, but like have different values, different mindset, everything else. So it's hard to imagine. Maybe that's what I, maybe why I thought when I was taking the quiz that I would be horn serpent because I reverted back to that mindset of me at 11 or 12, what I would be or want to be, et cetera. But I think... Puckwudgie for me, <clears throat> certainly very distinctly what I am right now. And that's why it's impossible for me to line up these houses with the Hogwarts houses because maybe it's my mindset of what I think of those Hogwarts houses as, you know, preteen, teenager, whatever. But also these houses just capture something. I know like one of them is distinctly like about the soul, but it just seems like these houses are really grasping at like who you like 
who, what leads you in life, whereas the Hogwarts houses to me seem more um, like how you show yourself to be. And I know those are like super abstract concepts, and I'm not, not articulating <laughs> that super well. Those seem similar. Um, but for me, there's just a difference, and it comes with just like the words used for these four houses. Yeah, there, yeah, there's. I, that's interesting that you factor in the age thing because I think that's something a lot of us don't consider having been Harry Potter fans for for you know a good how many years now? Twenty? Yeah. <laughs> oh God, twenty. <laughs> <laughs> so it is twenty. Yeah. Um, yeah. From so from Sorcerer's Stone. Ah, oh, that's insane. Um. But yeah, no, that's, that's, I mean, and too, a lot of, like, uh, that leads perfectly into you, Allison, because a lot of, we've kind of come into this culture now, too, where a lot of the longtime Harry Potter fans find themselves dancing between houses, possibly because a house that they were linked to earlier in life is now no longer, like, it was deemed not their official house by Pottermore, or they sorted uh they sorted a while ago on Pottermore and then they resorted. I mean, I know an extreme example on our show would be Eric who uh, has owned those Gryffindor robes uh. for a long time <laughs> and he just day. cannot give them up, but he is a Hufflepuff. Um but and he acknowledges that, but he loves those Gryffindor robes so much and I mean, I know too a lot of a lot of um our generation just automatically wanted to be in Gryffindor because it was the house to be in. Um, yeah. Thanks to the stories. And there was kind of a biased tilt towards Gryffindor. Um, so yeah, that's what Allison, as somebody who dances between houses, how do you feel about yeah, comparing? It's interesting because my Hogwarts houses, I do feel very split between Hufflepuff and Gryffindor, but as much as I want to be a Thunderbird, and as much as I think I value things that are Thunderbirds, I think I, I am very much a Puckwudgie. Like, I, I'm very, very firm there. And so it's it's interesting to think about that because I'm so split with my Hogwarts house. Um, but it's almost like, in some ways, the Ilvermorny houses feel more like ethereal like the best word I can think of is the Ilvermorny houses feel more like spiritual. Yeah, that's see, that's what I was trying to get yeah, at. Yeah, like that's not the right yeah. word, but like, like I was, I wanted to say soul, but that's Thunderbird, ex- Thunderbird exclusively. But I think as <laughs> spiritual is kind of what I was aiming for. Yeah, like I, I, I'm not sure if that's exactly the right word, but like it, it feels more like that than like the Hogwarts houses are like. It feels more, like, internalized in a lot of ways than, like, the Hogwarts houses, I feel like, are more of, like, how you act and interact with the world. Whereas, like, I, I don't know. It's it's weird. And so it's, like, I see connections between them. And I think knowing both is almost, like, getting a better picture of, like, one person. Hmm. If Does that make sense? I don't know. It's kind of weird. Um because it is so interesting to see none of them really match up. Like you can kind of say they match up to different ones, but then it's like, but then they can't because it matches up better to this house or it matches up better to this house, you know, like Thunderbird. A lot of people are like, Oh, that's the Gryffindor house. 
But in a lot of ways, it's not. Um, and like, people are like, oh, Horn Serpent is Ravenclaw. But in a lot of ways, it's not Ravenclaw. In a lot of ways, it has a lot of like, Slytherin tendencies or um, Hufflepuff tendencies and Gryffindor tendencies. And it's like, it's a, I, I kind of like that they don't match up, though, because I like that there's there are two different aspects and that you get kind of more of a complete, well-rounded idea when you have both. Yeah, I, th- I think that was no, weird, no, I but... think that's I think that's kind of hitting on the right idea is that actually you get a more complete picture of somebody if you ha- if you know both of the houses they were sorted into the the interesting thing i think for me was the first impression i got when i kind of learned more about them was oh okay puckwudgie is hufflepuff horned serpent is ravenclaw mm-hmm. and gryffindor got split into wampus and thunderbird and they don't have a slytherin <laughs> because wampus and thunderbird both kind of uh speak to familiar gryffindor aspects to me like warriors adventurers that's kind of the gryffindor thing we've come to know them for um i think we associate hufflepuff with kind of gentle qualities and healers kind of fit that um and then of course ravenclaw scholars um and then uh, you know because slytherin unfortunately got so defined by their ambition and power hungry nature which is not necessarily what they are but because that became their thing I was like, there isn't really a Slytherin here. And part of me, based on the story of Azolt, kind of thought that made sense not to have a Slytherin representation because that's kind of antithesis to everything she believes in. Um, she doesn't really... Having having lived under her, her aunt's kind of approach, I just kind of thought, oh, well, that makes sense that she wouldn't really want... Slytherin to be present in her setup, um, but in the but in that mm. way too, it I'm like, well, and does that make does that work? Because she didn't nec- she didn't choose all four houses, you know. Um, she did have influence, yeah, but she didn't choose them in the end. Um, and I think a lot of people got a little confused too because Horned Serpent for everybody was comparing to Ravenclaw in terms of the scholarly aspect, but everybody was like, oh, Slytherin, because snakes. And then, <laughs> but that yeah. wasn't right either. <laughs> um, and uh, and I thought it was funny, because I'm be, this is not the first time that I've heard yet another comparison of a, a Hufflepuff Thunderbird, which I always think is a fascinating one as far as like the idea that kind of the gentle people are still the adventurers, but it also connects to the soul, which I could totally see working. And in the end, and I wish I could pull it up, but it's probably backlogged in his Facebook archives, but maybe I can see if he can share it with us. But Eric actually came up with a pretty good diagram of how they matched up. Um, which had a lot of yeah, a lot of I overlapping think circles, flaws in it. like a lot of overlapping circles. Yeah, um, which actually like was the closest it I thought it that anybody got. But the thing too is I, I'm okay with separating them too because the thing I try to think of it as canonically is that Isolt, James, 
Webster and Chadwick did not have the same four core guiding values as Gryffindor, Hufflepuff, Ravenclaw, and Slytherin. Um, mm-hmm. So why why would they line up? Um, what would be the reason? Other than the fact that Isolt based the school off of Hogwarts. But the thing, too, is she had a very limited knowledge and a very skewered knowledge of what Hogwarts was based on what her aunt told her. Yeah. Um, so she wouldn't necessarily have a knowledge of the finer points, I guess, of what makes the houses what they are. Um, so in, a, in that sense, she did build it from the ground up. I just like that it... So the, the good thing is, is there is, like, no obviously right answer, but it has made us think, I think, even... <clears throat> about the Hogwarts houses in new and interesting ways than we would have never really done before. And, yeah. you know, like, I think it was Allison, you said this, correct me if someone else said it, but it sort of gives you a new aspect of understanding a person um, and like how, what, re- what embodies them and what characteristics represent them. Um, because before we just had this Hogwarts dynamic and maybe, you know, if you were split between two houses, that sort of gave you a more nuanced idea. But this really adds a completely new layer, which is super interesting. And I like to, one of my favorite things about it is that we had no preconceived notions about it. I mean, like when we had Hogwarts sorting, people were like, I got this house. What the heck? <laughs> but nobody knew anything and at the point that this quiz came out like we didn't even know any of these characters and so there was no preconceived notions it was like the only thing i heard people saying was like pukwudgie's kind of a dumb name and like like the quiz that you can't even try to take it based on like oh what house do i think this is because there's not enough information really about the houses where with the hogwarts yeah. quizzes you could be like well does this apply to gryffindor is this more slytherin what is this yeah, yeah, that's that's kind of what makes I think the Ilvermorny quiz even more enjoyable and even harder, and per- perhaps why we were all saying we kind of sat there for a while, really thinking about our answers because um, you don't automatically associate any of the answers to those questions with a house, um, and which which I guess which definitely goes along with kind of the I think the way we were saying that those questions are so large and philosophical definitely goes along with what. Caleb, you and Allison were saying about um, Ilvermorny's houses being more spiritual, right? Um, that you just ha- you, you got to dig a little deeper to to really focus on what you want um, from these houses. And again, definitely presents the quandary, like you said, Allison, of what do you do when you stand there and the houses more than one house chooses you. Yeah. That, that's like they must get there like instead of 11 at, like you know like nine o'clock at night they must arrive at like 10 a.m so that they can sort all these students because yeah. <laughs> that's just i wonder if it's more like instead of doing it like they have the big welcome feast at night and then like all the kids who have already been sorted go to their houses but the first years like have like the first year like room that they go to and then they do all this the next morning you know oh yeah Um, maybe yeah and then it's like a big deal like instead of it being part of like the welcome feast it's like oh it's sorting day here we go like first day of classes or something and that's how that all because i mean it takes them forever to get their wands too i'm sure so well and we know because we know the whole school watches because the whole the whole balcony that surrounds them on this uh, the hall on the second floor is devoted to the students who who are upper level who get to watch um yeah. so yeah that must be quite a 
quite a sight to see. A little here, a little um, special treat for you all. And this doesn't. This is way more effective, by the way, on your phones. And hopefully, listeners, I can share this with you guys. We'll. I'll try and link it in our uh, in the in the in the notes for the show, so you so you all can experience it too. I'm dropping it for you guys here in the chat if you haven't seen this yet. You want to go to Ilvermorny for just a moment and experience it. Um, this little piece of art that was done by, I'm not actually sure, I, let me see if I can credit this person. On on YouTube, it's Tiana Maros. This is stunning. Um, isn't it beautiful? Oh, nothing's loading for I can, me. Allison, I I'll give you the, the YouTube link because uh, that's sometimes with the 360s, Kay. it's hard to see. Here's the YouTube. Oh, this is amazing. This is so cool. The the 360 view is like just, that is just remarkable. Oh my God. I want to go now. (laughs) (laughs) (gasps) Whoa. I honestly say though, if I was 11, this would be more intimidating to me than the hat. (laughs) Oh yeah, for sure. Right. Holy cow. Super intimidating. Yeah, this would be terrifying. It's amazing, <laughs> especially with the perspective that this that Tiana used in her artwork. Um, yeah, it's pretty pretty terrifying. I like that she she maybe she's going along with what she said because this is either set at sunrise or sunset. I'm gonna say sunrise because it's gonna take that long. Okay, that wampus is ter- like that wampus looks like it's gonna no. eat you. That's so scary. <laughs> you can see the uh, you can see the um, uh, the the knot the Gordian knot everywhere all over the place um she 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 the the, this artwork listeners hopefully you'll get to make sure and uh click on the link i'm definitely going to put this in the show notes so you can experience this too listeners um but uh the uh the way that she did the perspective you were standing in the middle of the hall um at your sorting um and uh tiana definitely uh uh took great care in 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 reading the details that were provided by rolling on pottermore um, cause this is just, um, absolutely a beautiful piece of art, um, that, uh, I think some of the MuggleNet staff for the Speak Beastie staff came across and showed to me. Uh, I was like, oh God, I gotta, I gotta show the, I gotta show them this. Amazing. Um. That was way cool. But, uh, and that would be way intimidating. <laughs> and to wrap up, I think it would be fun to examine Nicole's question here. Nicole, you want to kind of go into your main focus a little bit? Yeah, so I was just wondering where the trio would be if they were sorted into Ilvermorny and um, how that would work. Um, I'm going back to the description. So you're, so you're standing yeah. here in this piece of art and you're Hermione. What happens? Right. <laughs> Horn serpent. Do you, now, do you think Hermione, cause, do you think Hermione would have been, now this is the other interesting question about all three of them, and we'll start, I guess, with Hermione. Would they have been chosen by more than one house? Because Hermione yeah. was a hot stall, right? Almost. Okay. Yeah, she was almost a hot stall. Yeah. She, she was. The choice was between Ravenclaw and Gryffindor for her. I would say Hermione's being chosen by Horn Serpent and Puckwudgie. I was thinking the same thing. And I think she. I think she might go with. Oh, that's so hard. Um, 11-year-old Hermione may have gone with Horn Serpent. I think she goes with Horn Serpent. You know, yeah, I think if you think, yeah, 
If it's that first day, I think you're right. If it's later that year, I think she goes more with Pukwudgie. Um, because she learned so much about that she needs to trust her, not just her books, that there are more important things. That's really interesting because I remember on a previous discussion about Hermione, we had brought up that because we we pondered why Hermione chose Gryffindor in the moment that she chose it over Ravenclaw. And I know, I think, Allison, it was you who had kind of put forth the idea that Hermione knew that she was already scholarly and that that wasn't yeah. that she was by choosing Gryffindor she was selecting something that she felt might have been um a need to fulfill within herself um so maybe then she would have gone with Pakwaji but it depends because one of the reasons she says she wants to be in Gryffindor at least that she says out loud is that she heard Dumbledore was in it so I wonder if she'd heard that there were so many people like Seraphina Pickery that were in Horn Serpent, she oh, might have leaned toward that yeah. one. Oh, yeah, and with Azolt there, too? Yeah, Azolt's, Azolt's yeah. house is Horn Serpent. Mm. Although maybe she would have gone with Pukwudgie because James was a nomad and she's from she's a muggle boy. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> That's a tough one. That, I really, I, I like that idea, though. I like that split that you guys put forth of Horn serpent versus Pukwudgie because it's a it's the battle between the mind and the heart, um, which is mm-hmm. really, um, which I mean, there's already an interesting thing to bring up because the heart, in the poetic sense, is really a stand-in for the soul, um, in many ways. But the heart and the soul are split mm-hmm. at yeah. Ilvermorny, um, and they do represent apparently different things, um, so that's you know, worth noting too. Um, so I don't know what that, I don't know what that would mean in terms of Hermione, if, if it would be between Horn Serpent and Pukwudgie or Horn Serpent and Thunderbird. Um, so far, it would seem that Pukwudgie somewhat seems to have an equivalence with Gryffindor. Um, <laughs> so I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Because then at the same time though, I don't know. Personally, I can't picture like Harry gunning to be in Pukwudgie. Right. <laughs> like, I think he might think be, so? though. Yeah, because... I mean, he's not scholarly. Um, he might be Wampus, the kind of warrior aspect, but I don't see him going to Thunderbird because he doesn't go looking for trouble. That's a big deal with Harry, is that he trouble doesn't usually finds him. want... <laughs> yeah. So, I think he might be between be between Wampus and Pukwudgie just because I mean and then there's also the whole thing of love is his greatest strength mm. so his heart is his greatest strength but he also is very much he's quick to action which seems like a very Wampus warrior trait. so the important thing to keep in mind too is that Harry's um just like we mentioned with Hermione and her choice based partially on knowing Dumbledore was in the house is that Harry is heavily influenced by the people he talks to before he goes to Hogwarts. And the main people who yeah. influence his choice are Hagrid, Malfoy, and Ron. Mm, yeah. Um, and with that in mind, that really, that makes it hard for me to think where Harry would want to go. Like, are we transposing Harry just as a person or are we transposing Harry with the choices up to that point and his story up to that point? Because that's hard. Um, 
because choices Harry's choices are who he is in many ways, as Dumbledore would probably say. Um, so it's like I like the idea of the the heart and the healer being the thing that Harry the house that Harry would associate with, but I it, for some reason I don't know if that's necessarily what he would choose. The other thing is I don't know which like house is like which house has the reputation at at Ilvermorny for being quote unquote the Gryffindor house <laughs> like do they yeah have do one, they though? do they do they have they they don't seem to have that hierarchy of houses like Hogwarts does uh there seems to be somewhat of an equal appreciation for all four houses um which is hard again too because then you add in like Nicole was saying how you can't you couldn't really figure out what house you were going to get into when you took the quiz. Yeah. The the impression of the four houses purely comes at this point from from how the readers of Harry Potter are digesting the four houses. Um because we have nothing from the story to really influence us to one house or the other. Okay, so putting that aside for a moment, where's Ron? <laughs> I definitely see Ron for me Ron's more of a Thunderbird because because like you were describing the house really well earlier Allison um, about seeking out you know the adventures and uh, yeah I see him more there but also he's got that like I see him in Wampus because of mostly I would base that off of becoming the knight Mm. you know I would base that off of the chess game and he'll be the knight he'll be the one who sacrifices himself Um, but I think he'd go to Thunderbird because he is the one who's always saying, when's our next adventure? When are we going to do these different things? Where are we going next? Yeah. I, I think Ron would be a Thunderbird because unlike Harry, Ron wants to be in those situations. Um, and he's in his situation. He's actively seeking that out because he wants something that'll set him apart from his siblings. Um, and I, I could see him thinking that the house of adventurers uh, is going to get him there fastest. Um, that's that's that. So it's interesting then, because like, so Harry and Ron could have been in the same house, and Harry and Hermione could have been based on what we were saying. But like, Hermione and Ron would have <laughs> been anywhere near each other. Uh, <laughs> I think fits. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Opposites. They're opposites. Yeah. And that's why they work so yes, well together. Yes, well, and hopefully in this uh, weird alternative Cursed Child-esque universe, uh, maybe maybe despite the fact that they're in separate houses, at least Ilvermorny seems to be very much about house unity, so there's probably a lot more inter-house hangout opportunities. So yeah. they'd right. still meet. Yeah. It would still happen. Destiny is on their side. <laughs> so... Boy, that's really interesting. Listeners, too, because, of course, we don't have the time to go through all of them. But listeners, please, um, in the comments, we'd love to hear not only where you think the main trio would be, but a variety of other characters. Um, and maybe just for fun, try it the other way. Because now that we know a few uh, American folks who definitely went to Ilvermorny, maybe try sorting them backwards and see where they would go um, over at Hogwarts. But... Uh, yeah, there's definitely. I don't think there's. I I don't think there is a definitive way to to answer the question about how those houses line up. I think it's more fun to just leave that one open, actually. But uh, 
I think with that, I mean, the only other thing to mention is that if you if you want to go to Ilvermorny, uh, go get your uh, blue and cranberry dress robes <laughs> with that Gordian knot clip. Um, yeah, that's because that, I did think that was it. Funny that the the the, the, the so I guess you got a prominent representation of. If you if you do have Hogwarts houses present, the prominent ones there are Ravenclaw and Slytherin. Um, because yeah. Zolt wanted to be a Ravenclaw, she had the roots and an object from Slytherin. Uh, I guess I guess she had the she had the bravery of a Gryffindor, and she had the kindness and welcoming of a Hufflepuff. Um, so in all of that way, she was a perfect example of all four houses who went on to make her own school. Um. That had all of those and none of them. <laughs> so, <laughs> but with that, I think for now, we shut the doors on Ilvermorny, but I'm sure we'll be visiting again before we know it. Because <laughs> um, unfortunately, we didn't get to see Ilvermorny in Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Um, the closest we have is this beautiful artwork from. Uh, Tiana Maros, which again, I will make sure and share with you listeners, but we'll come back to Ilvermorny again soon, I'm sure. Hopefully Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them will give us a reason to. All right, well, on that note, we want to thank Nicole for joining us for this discussion. Uh, Really appreciate you jumping in there. Some really great thoughts, and thanks for being on the episode. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. I'm really excited that this worked out. Yes, thank you, Nicole. You were an excellent guest. And it was great yeah. to have a, a fellow Hufflepuff Thunderbird on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so thank you again. And listeners, if you want to be on the show and you want to know what we're talking about next time so you can get your audition in, our next topic is going to be the 800-word prequel where Sirius Black and James Potter get up to a little bit of trouble. <laughs> so we're going to kind of discuss Remember that, that listeners? That was time. a thing. That was a that was a, <laughs> a long, long time, time ago though. thing that's canon. What is even happening? Yes, eight hundred words. We'll find a way to talk a lot about it. <laughs> and if you want to be on that particular episode or on any of our future Alohomora episodes, check out uh, alohomora.mugglenet.com. And up at the top of the page, you'll see a "Be on the Show" tab on the main site. You can click that, and that'll give you all the details. For submitting for a, you'll see a drop-down menu with specific topics. Um, you can also submit a topic on the topic submit page, also on the main site, where you can suggest what you want us to be talking about next. And if you want to join us for that uh, specific topic, let us know because we're always looking for guests who want to join for specific topics. Uh, if you have a set of headphones and a either built-in mic on your computer or an external mic and a recording program on your computer, you're all set. We do not require any fancy equipment. And as um, a lot of our listeners have been asking this week in our comments, and I appreciate that, listeners, you're all you're all kind of like working together to gear each other up to get the courage to come on the show, which is awesome. Um, uh, in answer to your questions, average recording time goes somewhere between two to two and a half hours. So just be ready for to settle in. <laughs> um, we do try to record on Sundays, but that does fluctuate and we can work based on your personal schedule to accommodate you. We really want to do everything we can to make sure you can get on the show and join us. And if you just want to chat with us, keep up with us, you can contact us several different ways on Twitter at Alohomora MN, on Facebook at facebook.com slash open the Dumbledore. 
through our wonderful website, alohomara.mugglenet.com. And you can send us an owl with audioboom at alohomara.mugglenet.com. Just keep them under 60 seconds so we can play them on the show. And one more time, we want to remind you that uh, you can get a free audiobook with a 30-day trial today by signing up at audible.com slash alohomora. That's audible.com slash alohomora, A-U-D-I-B-L-E dot com slash A-L-O h-o-m-o-r-a as we mentioned at the top of the show that fantastic beasts and where to find them audiobook will not want you will not want to miss that with eddie redmay reading that and audible is the place where you can get it and we'll, we want to give you one more reminder to check out our patreon page you can find us at patreon.com slash and there are options plenty there and you can sponsor us for as low as one dollar a month all right, so this is my going to keep this brief because um, I don't want to take up a lot of the listeners' time. We have already done a pretty lengthy episode, but this is my, I guess, official goodbye to being a permit host for Alohomora. Um, yeah, this is really strange. Uh, I guess when Noah, Kat, Rosie, and myself started this show quite a few years ago now. Um, we never really thought of what the end would look like. Uh, we just knew we wanted to reread the series, and we did that. So it's been cool to accomplish that, um, to be the only podcast out there that um, reread the entire Harry Potter series, and getting to add other people along the way. Um, Laura was with us for a, some, uh, quite a while, and getting Michael and Allison and Kristen has been such a joy to have new voices um, on the show. Um, I've gotten to do through my time at MuggleNet um, and other things, I've gotten to do so many cool things in the Harry Potter world that I know a lot of people do not or will not get to do. Um, it's been a really privileged experience through the years, especially when it's something you love so much. Um, but doing this podcast has without a question, been the coolest, the best, the most special thing that I've done along that route. Um, it's because every week or every other week, um, we talked about something that we love so much and we did it with, uh, I don't even know how many people now, what, this episode 212, so 212 give or take a couple of duplicates, maybe uh, people around the world, literally. And that's what we wanted to do from the beginning. We accomplished that. And uh, it was just always so cool to be able to talk with people about something we love and connect it. Almost always we were able to connect it to some bigger story or something bigger in, the, in our lives. And um, that's going to be weird to not have anymore, um, even though I've been off for so long because I've been so busy. Um, I remember when we, the, the thing I was thinking about today as I was getting ready for this episode is when we finished the reread of the Harry Potter series, which wasn't that long ago. And we were like, oh, I don't know what we should do. Um, you know, we don't have any more chapters to talk about anymore. Um, and like there was even, I won't get into a lot of what we discussed, but it was like, should we even keep going? Um, and at first I was like, God, I don't know. I mean, we, we sort of filled our purpose. And um, but then I thought back to all these experiences that I've had um, with people um, at live shows that we've done at conventions or other events and um, just talking to people through sound waves on a computer through the internet 
um, and how in reading your comments on the website and how much the discussion means to so many of you and not because the six or seven of us are special, but because collectively we have created this really unique community. And that was something that I did not ever want to see go, regardless of whether I was going to be a part of it long term or not. Um, and that's what I'm always going to remember about this show being so special is um, meeting people who have come up and said, this has given me a place to talk um, about something that I love that I don't have in my daily life. And I know that's true for a lot of you. And I'm just really happy we created that. And thank you for helping us create that because um, we kept Harry Potter going for us when there weren't, you know, fantastic beasts on the horizon. We didn't know that was coming. And it's a really important fandom for a lot of reasons for a lot of people to keep alive. And I think we did that and we're still doing that. And these guys are going to keep doing that. Um, so yeah, that is kind of like my spiel. And it's a little sappy, but I just have a lot of feelings about this show. Uh, so thanks. Thanks for bearing with me um, and for challenging us on our ideas, calling us out when we needed to be um, giving us really thought provoking things, helping us to think about things in new ways. Um, that's one of the greatest experiences of talking about something you love is how it makes you grow i was gonna before you before you summarize yes. what you're up to caleb because i wanted to say on your behalf for uh for, and for you know as i'm sure representing the entire little team we appreciate everything you've done for the show we always hate when we yeah. we've only had to lose one original host uh so far with with noah and we're all very sad to see you go but you know i think the really really admirable thing about your decision is that um, you decided to leave because the work that you're doing right now is really important. Your education is really important. And uh, I think listeners, if you, if you don't know uh, what Caleb gets up to on, in his personal life, um, he is, he is uh, kind of in the center of things right now um, over in, in Washington, DC. And I think it's, really important the work you're doing Caleb and you exemplify I think what's one of the most most important qualities about a lot of our a lot of Harry Potter readers from our generation I think there's even been studies done mm. on this that Harry Potter readers actually from our generation ha tend to be more aware and empathetic of things that are going on around them and um, I think this the fact that you have been um, very much aware and empathetic and um, and and participating in um, how we choose the choices we make in moving the the uh, the art the choices we make in moving our our country forward and the world forward. I think you're you've been really um, you're you've been playing a big part in that, and so um, I think you should just feel really proud. And I uh, we at Alohomore congratulate you for your choice and for your. Uh, continued success and what you're continuing to do um, by exemplifying the ideals of Harry Potter. <laughs> Basically leading a prominent member of a real life Dumbledore's mm -hmm. army. And I so admire that. And I so admire how you do that and that that's the work you're going to do to make the world better and put the lessons we learned from Harry Potter into action in real life. Well, thank you guys. That means a lot. Um, yeah, I think I think you're right, Allison. We all have to. I don't want to get too political here, but I just think we have to think about what Joe has taught us, what the importance of Dumbledore's army always was, um, 
hold on to that. And I won't get into too much of it there because if you want to hit me up on uh, in the real world, um, you can catch me on Twitter. My name, Caleb Graves. Um, I'm happy to talk. Um, but with that, um, please stay in touch. I hopefully will be back maybe someday as a guest host um, because I will stay definitely be listening um, as a listener like all of you now. Um, and thank you so much for listening and for just joining this conversation with me over these many years. That will do it for this week's episode of Alohomora. I'm Caleb Graves. I'm Michael Harley. And I'm Allison Sigurd. Thank you for listening to episode 212 of Alohomora. Open the Dumbledore. Dumbledore.